0: as Alyssa mentioned, it is Palm Sunday. It's beginning of the Easter week, and as we're looking forward to next Sunday, as we're going to be meeting on the lawn and celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, I just want to remind you of those welcome cards back there. We've been praying for weeks now for those that you are inviting, and uh, the challenge was to invite 10 people each and uh, so the cards are back there still. This is kind of the week that you remind people. Remember, I invited you to church. You're still welcome to come. And so, so take those cards, very simple way to do it. Then also in the back table, as always, there's questions that you can take with you throughout the week. Just follow up questions to the sermon because that's one of the things, as we've been talking about the church, we've been talking about the commitment of the early church. And one of those commitments was They were committed to grow in their faith. They were committed to grow spiritually. And today, as we talk about Palm Sunday, obviously the whole basis of that was on Sunday. As Jesus came into Jerusalem, and his disciples had found him a donkey, and he was riding on that donkey into town as the crowds gathered around, and they were literally praising him. They were laying their their cloaks. They were laying palm branches, waving palm branches. It was a... It was a moment of worship as Jesus entered into Jerusalem, and we know throughout the week that worship changed dramatically. Uh, but here's what it says in Mark 11 it says, Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessing on the king, on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David! Praise God in highest heaven. So, this praise was happening at the beginning of the week. Now, we've been talking about the church, and we've been talking about this very first church that we find in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. It gives us this, this little glimpse, this little picture of what this church was like. And I want to read it to you again. We've read it every week now for the last five weeks, but I want to read it to you again. So Acts two forty-two says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to the sharing in meals, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions. They shared the money with those in need. And I want to focus especially on these next few verses. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Uh, This first church, there was something about them. They were powerful. Uh, They were kind of magnetic. People were drawn to them. And we talked about five weeks ago, one of the reasons was they were so committed And they were committed to several things, but a a few of them are they were committed to grow spiritually. They were committed to have relationships with each other, to have unity inside the body. They were committed to prayer. Last week, they were committed to generosity. And today, we're going to talk about their commitment to worship, to worship together, and then also to worship in their daily lives. They praised God always. And so what is worship? Most of us Obviously, we, we tie it to what we just did, right? Music in the church. That's our, our time each week to worship. And, and if you define it, it's an act of expressing reverence to God. It's acknowledging God, but it's also supposed to be extravagant. Extravagant respect, extravagant admiration, extravagant devotion to God. And, and when you read through this, they worship together at the temple each day. So they got together and they worshiped and then they went about their daily lives doing all the stuff they're doing And it says and all the while they were praising god and so they worshiped together But then their everyday lives were an act of worship and praise to god And, and so there's corporate worship and then Worship in your lifestyle in the early church. We know they were committed to worship they had songs and and they they wrote songs, they sang old songs, they sang scripture, all kinds of stuff. Paul tells us in Colossians 3 that let the message of Christ basically in all its richness spill out of you and he tells us sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. He is telling us to worship. Now, many of us grew up in church. Whether you did or not, you've heard of worship music, you've heard of church music, and from these early days where Paul says, hey, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, uh, we've come from there all the way to today, what worship music is today, and really, church music, worship music is kind of what we think of, and man, have we gone through some changes, so if you go back to the first century, and I'm just going to brace you a little bit, I'm not a history teacher, but I'm going to be one just for the next few moments here as we talk about this cuz I just I started studying this and I got so wrapped up in it and I was listening to all these different songs and styles of worship and so you go back to the first 4 centuries. Now obviously we have no recordings of the first 4 centuries of anything that they were singing in church, but we do have history that talks about it. And so most of the music for the first from the early church through the 4th century is really non-instrumental. In fact, that early church kind of said, you know what, we don't want to use instruments because that's what the world does. And so so they basically said, our music's going to be different, our worship's going to be different. So for about 400 years, there's really no instruments in it. And so they actually, uh, around the early Middle Ages, we begin to find these songs, two different types that were used in the worship. One was just called Plain Song, and Plain Song, I don't know much about music. I should have Alyssa up here like explaining it better, but, but it was very simple. Um, there was no harmony, and, and along with Plain Song, after that came along, uh, we know of now as the Gregorian chants, and those are things that the monks did, and, and it's really kind of cool. I, I want you to listen first to the Plain Song, just a few moments of it here.
1: The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in
0: That is the plain song and you can see that's worshipful and I just want to make this very clear I'm not playing any of these or talking about this to make fun of any type of music or to say one's better than the other it's more just a history of the music and honestly the next one the Gregorian chants although it's in Latin I really like it so here we go Kind of cool, huh? I, I I could imagine just a whole congregation chiming in on that. And obviously I couldn't understand it because it's in Latin, but but it's really it's kind of a worshipful thing. And so so the church, for the first four centuries, that's kind of how they worshiped in their services. And then you get to the late Middle Ages, and things got more complex. They started adding harmony and, and things like that. And then came the pipe organ. And Somewhere along the way, someone said, hey, let's, let's forget this non-instrumental stuff, and they introduced the pipe organ. If you grew up in a church with an organ, that's big music, right? It's loud, it's, it's beautiful, and so this was a dramatic shift in church music. And, and so then another 400 years go by, uh, through most of the time, the shifting was very slow and took lots of time, and obviously, I'm just mentioning a few of the styles, but But after 400 years go by, in the 16th century, we start finding hymns. Hymns started to be written. And the main writer, Martin Luther, John Calvin. And so it wasn't just that hymns were changing church music. The church was radically changing at this time because they were pulling out of the Catholic church. And you have the Great Reformation led by Martin Luther. And and do you know in... 1527, just let that sink in for a little bit. 1527, Martin Luther wrote, A mighty fortress is our God. And I just, I want to hear this. I want us to listen to this song written 500 years ago. can see the dramatic shift in types of music, and that was big. And, and then, in the 18th century, you have some of these hymns, you have some change, and then you have classical music. That's also, many of it was, was written at, from a Christian standpoint. You have Bach, if you read through some of Bach's stuff, everything Bach wrote musically was, was an act of worship to God. It's, it's amazing what he did. Handel's Messiah is written in the 1700s. It's still one of the most famous Christmas and Christian songs ever written. And then also during the 1700s, hymn writing just explodes. And it's led by the West, John and Charles Wesley. Some people say that they wrote Almost 9,000 hymns between the two of them. That's a lot of hymn writing. But, but one of the interesting things about that, and just a few years ago, I would have been up here telling you that, that John Wesley got a lot of his melodies from the local bars and he would change the words, and that was a big part, right? But just lately, people have come out and said, Well, we've studied that and we actually can't find any evidence that he actually did that. So I can't say that that happened now. But it doesn't really matter where he got them, right? The, the hymns were being written, and Isaac Watts wrote our famous Christmas song. We sang this year at Christmas, right? Joy to the World was written back in the 1700s by Isaac Watts. And then in the 1800s, we start to get many of our favorites. Just As I Am, Billy Graham made that famous. Every altar call a Billy Graham conference was Just As I Am, Nothing But The Blood, It is well with my soul. Horatio Spafford wrote that after he'd lost his business in a fire. He'd lost his three daughters in a shipwreck. And as he's going across the Atlantic, he wrote this song saying, even though it is well with my soul. And then the early 1900s brings the Pentecostal movement. And the Pentecostal movement changed so many things. You know, the Nazarene church, uh, we come through the Wesleyan tradition. We talked about all their hymns. We come through this Pentecostal movement also. There's, we come out of the Methodists, and we come out of the Pentecostal movement. And, and the early 1900s really begins to change the way church music is. Uh, songs like the Old Rugged Cross, Great is Thy Faithfulness, How Great Thou Art. And, and along with the Pentecostal movement, began movement in church, and so I want you to understand that uh, all of a sudden there was dancing during the worship. Can you believe that? Dancing and clapping, running back and forth in the aisles. The early days of the Nazarene church, we were known as the holy rollers because we literally rolled down the aisles during worship. I don't know how that's worship, but it was. people, People were rolling down the aisles, and then there's things like raising our hands in church and swaying. Before that, we didn't sway, I guess. Now now we're swaying, and so now we have all this movement, and I actually want to play the Old Rugged Cross. It's one of my favorite hymns, so I want to play parts of it.
1: On a hill far away Stood an old rugged cross Me of suffering and shame and I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain so I'll change Kill my trophies at last I lay down, I will cling to the old rugged cross, and exchange it someday for a crown. How
0: many of you sang that in church growing up? But lots of us, lots of us. Well, then we get into the 60s and 70s and things. We had these radical churches out there that start trying to attract basically non-religious people. And they start to add guitars and drums. And they start creating worship bands, which you can imagine was controversial throughout the churches. But also throughout that time, do you remember Southern Gospel Quartets? Yeah, yeah huge. When I was in college, we must have listened to a thousand of those that came to college Church of the Nazarene to sing these, these Southern gospels. And then you had Amy Grant. You guys remember Amy Grant? She came out with actual, her own tape. Yep. And then, and that started church specials. Do you remember church specials where one person would get up and they had their tape accompaniment of Amy Grant or somebody? They would sing to that. And then we got into rock, Christian rock, and we had Striper. Is that not beautiful? Best outfit. Whoever listened to Striper? Not me. I didn't. Oh, we got one person. Yep. He admitted it. <laughs> Striper. And I'm not making fun of Striper. But the outfits I have to make fun of. Those are bad. So in the 80s and 90s. Now imagine this. All of a sudden megachurches start to rise up in the United States. Mega churches music becomes a huge part of it. Rick Warren up at Saddleback, just north of us here, he created different venues for different music styles. And so they had when you walked onto their campus, depending on what kind of music you liked, you went to that venue. He started separating people by their music style. Imagine that. And and so he's trying to, to get rid of the, I guess, the division of music and unite people. And then this church in Australia named Hillsong, we probably have heard of it today, starts in the 1990s, and they basically make a brand of Christian music. And, and one of the first songs they ever came out with was the song Shout to the Lord. And it it came out in 1993, but I don't think any church that Lisa and I went to actually started singing that until the late 90s. But I remember singing Shout to the Lord at the top of my lungs. I remember it because we had Christian radio stations now. I remember singing it on the way to work. I love the song, so we're going to listen to it right now. Shout to the Lord. was written 30 years ago. It brings back lots of memories for me, like, like so many songs that we grew up singing. Uh, the bottom line is there is a style of worship music for you. I listened to polka worship this week. I listened to jazz worship. Not my style, but if you, if you have a style, it's out there, but, and, and that's really what we've defined as worship. But really, this morning, I want to talk about what is worship? And what role does music play in that worship? And and so what I find interesting is one of the few times Jesus actually talks about worship, he's telling one woman, that was a foreign woman, she was a Samaritan woman. And if you know the story, it's found in John chapter 4, Jesus and his disciples are walking through Samaria, and Samaritans were hated by the Jews. And here goes Jesus and his disciples walking through Samaria. And the disciples go off to get food. And Jesus sits down by this well. He was tired. He was thirsty. And here comes this woman all by herself. She was not the best woman in town. Actually, she was probably an outcast in the town. She comes by herself to the well. They begin a conversation. And Jesus begins to reveal to this woman who he is, that he is the Messiah. And in the midst of this conversation, she asks him a question. Because she's obviously realizing this man is special. He's a prophet. And so she asked him, you're a prophet. And so I have a question for you. My people, the Samaritans, think we should worship here on this mountain. But you, the Jewish people, you think you should worship at the temple in Jerusalem. And this is how Jesus responds to this question. Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans, you know very little about the one you worship. While we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth truth. Now, I want to read that from the message. The message interprets it in a way that that makes me grasp a hold of worship in a different way, but here's what Jesus says. It's, It's who you are and the way you live that counts before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the people the Father is out looking for, those who are simply and honestly themselves before Him in their worship. God is sheer being itself, spirit. Those who worship Him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. I, I love the way it expresses worship here, the way Jesus explains it. This, It's from our very being. It's from who we are, and it's this love for God, for, for truth. And, and, and so just from this short conversation, we can learn a few things about worship. First of all, it doesn't matter where you worship. That was new. That's a new concept that when Jesus mentions this because the Holy Spirit changes that. What Jesus was saying is, is that we used to go to the temple in Jerusalem because that's where the Spirit of God was, well, once Jesus died, the Spirit was released. And as believers, we get the gift of the Spirit. So it doesn't matter where we worship. We can worship in our cars. We can worship at church. We can worship at work, wherever we are. And so it does not matter where we worship. Number two, it does matter that we worship. And it's interesting, the woman says, you know, that they weren't believers in the one true God. She's a Samaritan. But yet, she said... Worship is important. Both of them acknowledge worship is important. As human beings, it's actually good for us to worship, spiritually and physically. And then it does matter who we worship. Jesus says, you Samaritans don't really know the God you're supposed to worship. Us Jews, we do. It's the one true God. It matters who we worship, and it matters how we worship. He says, simply and honestly, from your very being, in spirit and in truth. Now, Jesus doesn't say a certain style or a particular instrument that you're supposed to worship to. It's more a matter of your heart and where you're at mentally and spiritually. Now, I just want to be honest with you. In reality, when I come to church and I worship, there's some Sundays, man, man, I am just into it. There's other Sundays that my mind wanders. In fact, it probably happens to all of us. We start to think maybe a verse in the, in the song or something triggers something that happened last week that causes some stress or anxiety or something good. It doesn't matter. Or we start thinking about next week and, and what all the things that I have to do. We start to think about our jobs or our week ahead, our families. And there was a time in worship in, in my life that, as I was worshiping, and if I would raise my hands or, or whatever, I would start to think, are people watching me? Are they watching me worship? Or, or if everyone was clapping, I'd be going, wait, I'm trying to get on, slow down, because I can't clap and sing at the same time. And so and stuff like that really, really distracted me from worship. And the same thing happens in my daily prayers, my my. Worship when I'm at home or in my office. I I I struggle to keep my mind focused on worship, on prayer. And so the question is, how can we still our minds? How can we focus our minds? Uh, Because I believe worship is a practice. It's something that we can get better at. It's a practice of being present. And and when you really just stop and think about it, how often do you really worship and you are just right there? In that moment, just you and God, your spirit and his spirit connected in that moment. Because really, that's what worship is. And we cannot be aware of God's presence if we're thinking about another time. We can't be aware of God's presence if we're thinking about another place. So we have to be here in the moment. As he said in John 4, those who worship him must do it out of their very being their spirits their true selves in adoration and the question is how do we do that well i think it's a battle it really is we talk about spiritual battles i think that is a spiritual battle and i think paul gives us some amazing insight in second corinthians 10 i used to read this verse and go that's impossible i don't know how you can actually do this but listen to what paul says The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I want us just to think about that for a moment. When you are worshiping, praying, wherever you're at, and and all of a sudden your mind is thinking about everything else. That's something that has just come and set itself up against you being in this moment and worshiping God. And what Paul tells us is take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ to make it worshipful to Christ. And the thing is, is we have the power to control our minds. God's given us that ability. But most often our mind controls us, doesn't it? It takes us where it wants to go instead of us controlling our minds. Now let's go back to Palm Sunday. We started off with this idea that Jesus was being worshipped. And the people are worshipping him. And when that parade is over, he makes his way to the temple. He walks into the temple and he looks around and then he leaves. The next day, Monday, Jesus comes back with his disciples and he walks into the temple. And begins to see everything that's happening there day in and day out. And he starts to chase people out. He had a whip. This is Jesus has a whip. And he literally chases everybody in the temple out, the money changers, people selling this, people worshiping, people doing whatever in the temple. He chases everybody out. As far as we know, there's no one left in the temple. Now that takes some power, right? How does one man walk in, with a whip, and chase the whole place out, because the temple was a social center. Everything was happening at the temple, especially that week. Everything's happening. People are excited, and there's this buzz about the place, and Jesus clears it. But what I love is afterwards, it says the lame and the blind and the children came into the temple... And they were with Jesus. Jesus healed the lame and the blind. So think about that. All these people had been chased out. And, And I'm just saying, I wouldn't feel super comfortable walking back in there, the guy with the whip that just chased me out, right? But there's something about Jesus. And there's something about the lame and the blind and the children. They still feel safe. And they go back into the temple and their real worship starts to take place. The children start to sing praise psalms to Jesus. And, and here, I just want to read to you what it says in Matthew 21. He said to them, The Scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned into a den of thieves. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law saw these wonderful miracles and heard even the children in the temple shouting, praise God for the son of David. But the leaders were indignant. The leaders were still angry that these beautiful things were happening. Now, why am I talking about the temple and worship? I guess as I went through this this week, I started to think about this idea that we take every thought captive in our minds. And we make it obedient to Christ. And yet, throughout the week, how distracted are our minds? Our minds are thinking about everything else. They're thinking about what we have to do next week, what we didn't do last week. Our minds are thinking about all these things. And I began to think our minds are just like the temple, right? Chaos. It's all Everything was happening in the temple except worship. And Jesus goes in and he clears it out. you're not going to worship, get out. (laughs) Then who comes back in? The ones that want to worship. The childlike faith. Those that were there with Jesus in this moment that had to be so beautiful. (laughs) You see, our bodies are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. At 1 Corinthians 6, Paul tells us that our bodies Are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so it lives right here in us. And if our bodies are chaotic, if our bodies have all these other things going on, if our minds are so distracted, we need to clear it out. (laughs) Jesus cleansed the temple. Sometimes we need to cleanse our mind. So often we come to worship with our minds distracted. And I just think about the children, their childlike faith, singing praises to God. When you think about this early church, they were committed to worshiping together. They were committed to having unity in spirit. And so this idea of controlling our minds so that we are here in this moment, right now, not worrying about the style of music, not worrying about the way it's presented, Otherwise, we just miss out, right? We need to learn to focus on Jesus, focusing on the words that we are singing. That sometimes for me, just staring at the cross or, or picking a place to just stare, just to make sure that I am here in this moment. And just think about this. The Spirit of God lives in us and among us. Remember Jesus says in Matthew 18, for whether two or three are gathered as my followers, I will be there among them. So if our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit lives in us. And as we're gathered together, guess what? He's with us. So the Spirit of God, when we come together in corporate worship, is in us and among us. Because of that, our worship should be powerful. It should be refreshing. It should be life changing. Not only were they committed to corporate worship, but they were committed to praising God always. That's a lifestyle of worship. In other words, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter who you're with. It doesn't matter what's going on. You can worship God in your daily lives. Even when you're busy and distracted, you can still worship God. Romans 12, Paul tells us Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Your very lives should be worshipful. And I believe this is a practice that we need to claim. As followers of Jesus, we need to claim the practice of worship, not just corporate worship, but lifestyle worship. We can worship anywhere. (laughs) We can clear out the temple anytime and worship. Just for a minute, and this might be weird to some of you, but just for a minute, I I want us to practice, and I want you to think of, maybe it's a word. Maybe it's just, I praise you, Jesus. I praise you. But for one minute, you're going to focus on that one thing being right here in this Moment, just thinking. You can close your eyes, you can keep them open, it doesn't matter. But in this moment, just think about it. I praise you, Jesus. Just in that short time, our thoughts wandered. And you have to keep pulling it back to, I praise you, Jesus. That's why I say it's a practice. And It's a practice that we can literally claim because the Spirit of God lives in us. You see, this early church, they were committed. They were committed to corporate worship together, which was powerful. And they were committed to praising God always. I was trying to think of all the different places that I've worshipped in my life. Church. I remember really special times of worship in the church. I remember being on youth camps with with my youth group and worshipping. Lately, I worship on my surfboard more than any other place. Because it's a place of quiet and solitude. This last Thursday, <laughs> listening to all these songs, the Gregorian chants and everything else, I worshiped. I began to weep and worship. I was thinking of my dad this week, and my dad and I, we um we didn't worship together. My dad wasn't really a religious person. We played golf together. We coached football together, did a lot of other stuff. Uh, but later, his last few years, we um, he would we'd talk about worship in the church. And he always talked about how much he disliked worship now. <laughs> he didn't like the rock bands. He didn't like the drums. He didn't like this. And and we had these conversations, never never upset with each other, just talking about the differences in worship. And he always wanted to know, why can't we just... You know, do different ways of worship, and um, and so it was one of those conversations. It was back in November. Sorry, we were talking about different worship styles, and his favorite song had become "How Great Thou Art." And he'd figured out his phone to an extent, and he, he had found a song, How Great There Are, by Carrie Underwood. <laughs> and he goes, here, listen to this. And he handed me his phone. My dad was always kind of gruff, and I just saw it was Carrie Underwood. And I go, Dad, I don't even like country music. I don't want to listen to it. He goes, it's not country music. Just listen to the song. So I start listening to it and listen to about a minute of it, and I go to hand it back to him. He goes, Listen to it. Sorry, Listen. The time I didn't know it was less than two months before he would die. It was the last time I was with him. I listened to the song and I looked up to hand him his phone back and hit tears <sighs> rolling down his face and I realized now when I look back I was worshiping with my dad and it was beautiful and the song I just kind of okay liked, I love now and I'm going to have Alyssa come up and she's going to lead us, <laughs> and how great thou art. And in this moment, I want us to be present. Who cares if you like the song? Who cares what's going on next week? Just worship the God that created you, worship the God that loves you and sent his son to die for you. Just worship. Father, we thank you for creating us, for creating this world. We just praise you this morning. I pray that that praise would just stay with us throughout this week. Help us to be worshipers of you, and we just pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.